Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says this, it says, The point of what we are saying is this, We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne in majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned uh, when he was about was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant to which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. It's been a while since we've done this. So we walk through Hebrews, and so I want to remind you kind of our, our structure, how we go about this. So uh, in a moment, just a moment, we're, we're going to reveal our lesson for the day. We always have a lesson. It's a theme, if you will. Here's, here's the big overarching lesson found in this passage of Scripture. And then we're just going to spend the rest of our time together explaining or digging into that lesson. And so this morning, uh, it, it's pretty straightforward. We get this lesson straight from ver, uh, verse 6 here in Hebrews chapter 8. And the lesson is this. I want you to see this morning that Jesus is a better servant. Jesus is a better servant. And if you look at verse 6, it says this. It says, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant to which he's mediator. Now, the ministry that he received is superior. That word means better. So his ministry is better. Well, what does that word ministry mean, though? If, if you dig into it in the Greek, the word ministry is literally, uh, and I'm going to try to pronounce it properly, it's, it's liturgia. And it's the word from which we get our word liturgy. Liturgy. And what it means is it means to serve in an office, but this is the crazy part. Not only is it serving in an office, but it's serving in an office at your own expense. Serving in a capacity at your own expense. To serve at one's own cost is the heart of why Jesus' ministry is better. He served at his own cost. And understanding this word has, has, has massive implications for us this morning as we try to wrap our minds around the, the concept of the old covenant being phased out with a newer, better covenant on which Jesus is established by being our servant. 
and, and, and by covering the cost himself. It's what you've got to get working in your mind. He became our servant. He covered the cost himself, thus making this new covenant. I think the Apostle Paul probably paints the best picture of exactly what happened. And it's in Philippians chapter 2. And so if you've got your Bibles, um, keep a thumb there in Hebrews 8 because we're, we're coming back to it. But turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 real quick. And, and let's read together, starting in verse 5 of Philippians 2, Paul's description of this ministry or this service of Jesus. Uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But get this, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And and, and that is the, the portrait that's painted here in Hebrews 8. That's what it's talking about when it says that his ministry is better, that, that Jesus is God. That, that Jesus is, is eternal, that Jesus is glorious. And, and yet Jesus stepped out of eternity, and he stepped out of glory, and he stepped into humanity to become a servant unto us. To what? To the point of death. To the point of death. He paid his own life to serve us and to bring us this new covenant of God. And so it's a big deal. This is costly service. If the service was that costly, then we need to understand the, the difference between the covenants. If it cost him his life for, for a, this new covenant to be ushered in, then we need to understand the difference between the two. So let's start with the old one, okay? So, so number one, the old covenant, uh, according to Scripture, depended on man's faithfulness to God. The old covenant, according to this passage, depended on man's faithfulness to God. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Get this, verse 8. But God found fault with the people. You might circle that. God found fault with the people. It wasn't the covenant that was bad. It wasn't God that was bad. It was the people. In verse 9 it goes on. It says, Because they did not remain faithful. They did not remain faithful. And so the problem with the old covenant is the people. And I just want to explain this for a second, just so you don't get it wrong, right? God is faithful. That is his name. So so God made a covenant with the people. He made a promise to the people back in Genesis 15. comes to Abram, says, Abram, I'm going to make you Abraham. I'm going to make you the father of many nations, right? And get this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to multiply you. That's what I am going to do. Now, here's your part of the deal. You remain faithful unto me. This is the promise that is handed down to, to, to the descendants of Abraham as well. And, and, and so God says to them, listen, I, I, I am faithful. That's where I'm going to be. I'm always faithful, but, but this is, we would call this a unilateral covenant. This is kind of a, listen, I, I promise to do these things, but you have to obey. I promise to do these things, but, but you have to obey. And so God kept his end of the deal. God is faithful. He always keeps his promise. But under this covenant, under this old one, God's promises and blessings were only for those that obeyed. Let that sink in for a moment. Under the old covenant, if you want to see the difference, under the old covenant, God's blessing was only available to those that obeyed. Ooh. Check this out in Deuteronomy 7. 
I, I love the first half of this. Like, when we get to the second screen, you're going to think, oh, the first screen is awesome, right? Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10 says, uh, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, and he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and what? Keep his command. What's the requirement? Our part's faithfulness. That was the old covenant. But get this. Look at the next verse. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. Whew. That, like, that's not even, you're, you're following me, right? You read the language there. I mean, it's not like God said, well, and then he will repay them unkindly. He says, he will repay them to their face. Like, you hate me, I will repay you to your face with destruction. This is how this is going to go. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Well, boy, man, verse 9 sounds awesome. Verse 10, I don't want any part of. And that's the old covenant. The old covenant is, is, is dependent upon our obedience, upon our faithfulness. And so just so we, we don't miss anything here, I want to fill in some blanks with you, okay? Just there in your notes. And here we go. I want you to see the cost for receiving God's blessing under the old covenant was man's faithfulness. That was the cost. We'll talk about this in a second, but there's always a cost, okay? So the cost to receive God's blessing in the old covenant um, was, was man's faithfulness. If you want the blessing, you must obey. How does that sound to you? How many people are thinking, that does not sound very good to me? Like, I don't want to be on that, right? It doesn't sound great to me. And I would just simply ask you, hey, parents, how do you parent? Because you know what? That doesn't sound good to me. That if you do this, then you'll receive my blessing. But I, 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 God hit me in the face this week. I was thinking about my kids. How often do I do this with them? How often am I an old covenant parent instead of a new covenant grace-filled believer in Jesus? I'm not saying that I don't want obedience in my kids. But my kids need to know that, that, that my love for them has nothing to do with, with the way they perform for me. Not at all. And so, so we, we, we've got to understand the difference. And so uh, that, that was the old covenant. Again, we're just filling in some blanks. According to verse 7 and 8, the old covenant was flawed. And it was flawed because of our lack of faithfulness. Our lack of faithfulness. So the old covenant was flawed because of our lack of, of faithfulness. Man's lack of faithfulness. So that's the old covenant. That's the old covenant. Jesus is coming. He, he serves us at his own cost. The cost of his own life to replace that. And just listen to what he replaces it with. This is good. The new covenant depends on God's faithfulness to man. The old covenant depended on man's faithfulness to God, but the new covenant depends on God's faithfulness to man, which is pretty good because God is faithful, right? It's pretty good news. I want you to notice the language of verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12. It says this. It says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people, right? For I will forgive their wickedness, verse 12. The language is, I will, I will, I will. God is saying, listen, I, I, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to put my, my law in your hearts and in your minds. I'm going to do it. How am I going to do it? How? Because I'm going to be the faithful one. Because I am faithful. I'm going to put my laws in your hearts and in your minds. I'm going to do it for you. Because I am faithful. I just want you to hear this this morning. Covenants always cost something. Covenants always cost something. They always cost someone something, right? Somebody in a covenant, because it's a promise and an agreement, somebody has to be faithful. 
Somebody has to be. And the declaration of Hebrews 8 and Romans 3 and everywhere else in the Bible is that it's not us, right? That we, we're just unfaithful people, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the problem with the old covenant was man's lack of faith. It wasn't God's lack of faith. And, and, and so, so the whole gospel would testify to this one truth that we are not a faithful people, right? I mean, I mean, we, we're exactly the opposite. And so if it comes to Deuteronomy 7, well, you'll receive my blessings if you keep my laws. Well, we're, we're up a creek now, aren't we? Because we don't keep his laws. So, so we don't keep his laws and we don't keep his commands and, 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 and we're not righteous. And so the old covenant isn't a blessing to us. It's a curse. You see, the old covenant isn't a blessing to people like you and people like me. It's not good news to us. To us, the old covenant is condemnation. Because for us, the Old Covenant simply points out every flaw and failure that we possess. That's what it does. But praise God, (laughs) there is a new covenant that God has made with His people. You see, and while we couldn't be faithful, and while we weren't faithful, I, I, I want you to hear me, while we couldn't pay the cost, Jesus could and He did. Jesus paid our cost of faithfulness. He covered our cost in the covenant. He was the faithful one on our behalf. He fulfilled the faithfulness requirement. Would you listen to what Paul's protege Timothy says? It's so good. He says this. This This is what he can boast because of what Christ has done, right? Even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus has fulfilled the faithful requirement on the covenant of, uh, on our behalf. He served us by giving himself. That's true ministry. It's ministry at the cost of yourself. Now again, I'm going to fill in some blanks just so we, we get some understanding. Then we're going to talk about the implications. The implications of this are huge, by the way. Let's get, let's get the theology out of the way, okay? What that means is this. It means the cost of receiving God's blessing under this new covenant. Remember, under the old covenant, it was all about our faithfulness. Under the new covenant, the cost of receiving God's blessing has been covered by Christ. It's covered, right? It's huge. Talk about it in a second. It means it's not about your performance, okay? It's kind of a big deal. It's covered. It's covered. Jesus has paid the cost. Secondly, uh, just fill this out with me. The new covenant, uh, therefore, is perfect. The old one was flawed, but the new one is perfect because Jesus is faithful even when we're faithless. So, so I, I, this perfect covenant has some major implications for Christians, okay? Major. And, and for some of you, uh, what we're going to do, so, some of you have a burden on you. And you have for some time that you walk around and you are heavy hearted and you are heavy minded and, and you feel guilty and you feel shameful and you've never known what it is. But you, you walk around, especially you come to church and you just feel heavy, almost like you can't breathe or you can't walk. And this morning we're going to take that thing that's tying it down in, in the very gut of you and we're going to shine the gospel light on it. It's going to break free and the burden's going to be lifted and you're going to want to jump and dance. And that's cool. That's fine. Because this, this, this passage has great implications. So, so, so here's the, the implication, the fact that Jesus has paid the cost. Ready? He, he served us. He's become our faithfulness um, at the price of his own life. And because of that, because of that, we now have access to every blessing of God. Okay? 
like, like you just, like, because of, of how Jesus served us, we now, now, not like later, not sometime, not occasionally, we now have access to every blessing of God in Christ because it's finished. Because Jesus has paid the cost. And, and, and so I, I just wrote down a, a few of these. And by the way, that means it, it has nothing to do with anything that you have done. It, it's not uh, because we've had a good week or because we've had a bad week. It, it has nothing to do with our performance. It's just about his perfection. Whoo! Anybody breathing a little lighter now? Because like, I don't know if it's you. I didn't have an awesome week. Like, like you know, I, found, I, I, I think I prayed for forgiveness about 52 million times last week. I'm just I'm being honest. I'm just like, God, I did it again. Are you kidding me? I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. We're doing a new marriage study. It's called When Sinners Say I Do. And I like read the kind of like the beginning chapters. And I'm like, oh gosh. I'm like, I'm the lead sinner of my house. Like, you know, when it comes to my kids, it's not my kids' behavior. It's me. I'm the, I'm the greatest sinner in my house. I'm the greatest sinner in my household. That's the absolute gospel truth. I'm, I'm probably the greatest sinner in this church. But I want to tell you that I can proclaim Jesus because I understand what he's done for me. And it's finished. And it's finished. And so here's the implication of the finished work of Jesus and the new covenant for you. Ready? Every blessing of God. Let's just go through some of them. Number one. The presence of God. You get the presence of God now. Because before you had to be perfect, but Jesus was perfect for you. So you now get God. This is the gospel, friends. It's not just about avoiding hell. It's getting God. And like now you get God. You get a relationship with God. And, and you get him right now, this very moment. We have access to God. And get this, not as foreigners or aliens. We, we, don't, we don't get access to God as people that have to approach him somehow with our head down, shameful, right? We get access to God as children. Man, I'm, I want to tell you, I'm, not, I'm trying not to embarrass my child, but we had, we had a Bible drill yesterday, and, and man, um, associational Bible drill, Cole got a perfect score. I've never seen, like I was so, I was like, oh my gosh. I can't Bible drill, by the way. It's like the most ridiculous, difficult thing on the face of the planet. You've got to memorize 25 verses, and then you get 10 seconds to find you know, books and things like that. And, and man, our kids did so good. Uh, Zeke, man, rocked it out yesterday, and Tyler and Emma. And, and we, had, we had like three perfect scores in our kids' division, and then we had a bunch of kids that missed one or two. And, and so, um, but after it, uh, uh, Cole, there, there was like a, a little deal, and, and he was supposed to uh, step up on this verse, and he had it, and he just kind of lost it uh, there. And then afterwards, I said, what happened? He's like, oh, I just forgot it for a second. And then I could see it affecting him as the drill went on. I think he missed three or something, which is still, again, he just kicked his dad's butt in Bible drill, right? I mean, just destroyed me. Like, destroyed the pastor. I mean, we're like, you give me 10, I can't find my keys in 10 seconds. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't even ask about my, if I ever take my phone out of my pocket, like, I'm like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Can you call me? And we don't have a home phone, so you can't call that. And my wife has lost her phone, like, the world's going to end. And I have to, like, I'm, I'm like Morris coding. My friend like dttt like can you call my phone something they need a computer program where you can just do something type it on the web and it will call my phone i will pay you money for that service why do you not it would save me hours in my life here's the deal 10 seconds right when it was all over cole came up and i was like man you did such a good job and he just put his head on me he just he came to me with his head down he came to me with his head down like he was upset and he was upset that he didn't miss it. And the thing that killed me was the thought that he needed, he felt like he needed to put his head down for me. Because listen, I don't care about his performance in life because that is not why I love him. 
I love that child with all my heart because he's my son. And some of us are the same way with God, man. We try to approach God and we come to him with our head down because all we can think about is how we have failed or how we have messed up. And the glory of the gospel in Christ is there's no more head down. The glory of the gospel in Jesus is that I don't have to do that because I'm a son. And when I mess up, it doesn't matter because he's my dad. And what matters to him most is sonship, not performance. That's the gospel. That's what Christ has done for us. And if you don't get it, then you don't get it. Man, this is the glory. It's not performance-based anymore because Christ has performed it perfectly. This is the new covenant. Whoo! I get, I, get, I get God. Man, that's awesome. And if that weren't good enough, you know what happens when you get God? Man, when you get God, you get his life. Because where God is, his life is. And so not only do I get God, but I get the life of God. So I get this thing called eternal life, which is ridiculous. And it means that, that Easter is real for me. And I get to stand up and shout things like, Where, O oh death, is your sting? Bring it. Like, you know, you may take me, you may hurt me, you may ding me, you may kill me, but I will rise again. Like, like where, oh, death is that sting? And so I have this great confidence. But it's not just eternal life that I get. I get abundant life, too, because this is, this is what we know when we walk in Christ, that he's died so that we might have abundance now, love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control is all mine now. It's all mine now. This is the life of God. Every single blessing. I'll share one more with you. I just, I just wrote three, man. I was just thinking. <laughs> victory. Man, <laughs> I have victory in, in Jesus. <laughs> like I, I, I just do. Anybody here competitive? I'm a wee bit competitive. Come on, raise your hand. Who's competitive? If you're a competitive person, by the way, you should sign up. We're going to play games at my house. You get to be competitive with the pastor. We're going to have a burger bar. Uh, you need to sign up as a youth fundraiser. That's a little shameless plug. You should do that and see how competitive I really am. I, I, I promise I'll love you and, and take it easy on you. No. Um, anyway, but, but it'll be good. It'll be good. I'll let you try to win. I'll let you try to win, but, uh, but you should probably be on my team. I'm just saying. So um, a little competitive and, and for those of you that are a little competitive and you're a little like me, then there's a great problem for us, right? Because if you're competitive and you fail, it kills you, doesn't it? You just feel like a failure. It's all you can think of. If I hadn't done this, if I hadn't done that. And you just dwell there. And so I just need you to hear me again, this, the, the glory of this, this new covenant. I'm going to try to watch the time. You need to know how the story ends. We win. Like, I hate to ruin the book for you, right? But we win. You don't have to wait for the movie or the sequel. Like, like we win. And, and for those of you that are here and you're that competitive person and you don't feel like much of a winner, right? Because, because all you can think about is how many times you, you failed. You just need to hear me clearly. You need to look at me. You are not a failure. You are a winner according to Jesus. That is who you are. You're a winner. You, you, you may have lost a battle this week. Last week, the week before, yesterday, this morning, getting in the car, coming to church. But the war's not over. You may have lost a battle, but the war is already won. Jesus has done that for us. It's done. It's done. So what do we do because of that? 
when we start to understand those things, there's just a few things out of this text I would encourage you to do. Number one, uh, because of this great service, I would just implore you to accept it. Accept his service unto you. This is why Jesus came. John chapter 13, uh, last supper moment. The Bible says that Jesus shows the full extent of his love and he takes off his outer garment and these men he's about to eat with, um, he, they're about to like run off, they're, they're going to they're gonna leave him. He takes off his outer garment and he ties it around his waist and he gets down on his hands and his knees and, and he washes the feet of these men that are about to run away and betray him. He washes their feet. And, and he gets to Peter and Peter's like, you know Peter, I mean, he's like, no Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says something to Peter that should shake us to our core. He says, Peter, I tell you, unless I do this, you have no part of me. Unless you let me do this, you have no part of, of me. Now you've got to hear this. Jesus is saying, Peter, you need me to serve you. You need me to pay this cost. I've got to serve you at my own cost, Peter, or you don't get me. If you can't accept that I'm the one paying the price to clean the dirtiest parts of you, you can't have me. And, and, and listen, I, I love you and Jesus, but I'm just going to say this to you. I believe that those words are still accurate. And I know so many people that they want, they want Jesus in their lives so that they can be happy and great and wonderful. But they don't want him to touch the darkest, nastiest parts. Friends, you can't have the gospel just in one area. The Savior can't just clean up um, your church life or your public life. You have to let him serve you in the ugliest, darkest, nastiest recesses of who you are. You've got to let him serve you. Would you accept that service this morning? I don't know what it is for you, right? Maybe for you, the darkest, nastiest recesses, men, maybe, maybe it's your thought life. You're just like, if my wife knew the things that I thought, if, 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 if my brother in Christ knew the things that I thought, if they knew the way that I struggle, I just can't. And you just need to say, Jesus, I need to let you into these thoughts, right? right? Maybe it's your mouth. Maybe, maybe the things that you say to other people. And, and not just like, I'm not just talking about, I'm just talking, some of you have these targeted, like, like slicing words, right? I mean, we're just that way. I, and, and listen, there's sometimes like, if my wife and I fight, I don't talk. She said, why would you ever say anything? Because mm, I'm just not going to say it's better for our marriage. <laughs> it's better because what I'm thinking is not of Jesus. And you don't, you don't want it. And, and I, can, I, can, I, can, I can, man, I can use words to, Jesus, I need you in there. Maybe it's your fear. Maybe it's fear of your children. Fear of money. Fear of, I mean, you name it, but it's the darkest reason. Like, nobody else knows. You don't even talk to your spouse about what's going on. Let Jesus serve you there today. Would you let him into the darkest places to scrub and to wash the nastiest part of you? Because that's who he is. And I still believe he says, if you don't, you don't get me. You don't get me. Secondly, I, I, would, I would encourage you, because of this passage, not just to accept his service, but to accept his forgiveness. Accept his forgiveness. Look at verse 12. Whew. For I will forgive their wickedness and will, look at this, remember their sins no more. <laughs> like, did you read the same text that I did? It didn't say, like, remember their sins no more until next week. <laughs> until next time. 
Until next, no, I will remember their sins no more. Finished, done, gone, right? And and so you just need to understand this. You need to write this down somewhere. Like forgiven, that is your new name. You are forgiven in Jesus, forgiven. Not not just for the old stuff, but forgiven for the old stuff, the today stuff and the tomorrow. You are forgiven, that's who you are. That is your identity in Christ. People always want to know, what's my identity in Christ? Forgiven? Like if you were going to get a tattoo, that'd be a good one, right? forgiven. Make it big. Put it somewhere. You, it reminds you, you know, and you think, well, that's wrong. No, read Deuteronomy 6. They tie that sucker on their head and on their hands and, I mean, write, write it on their doorpost. That should be welcome. Like, forget welcome. Forgiven. Right there on the doorpost. Forgiven. Make it a visible reminder. Put it in the car, like, like by the, the speedometer, which the pastor need. Day. I told you last week I got pulled over, right? We won't talk about my trip from, back from Bob Drew yesterday. Anyway, it was pretty much the same effect. It was, hi, officer, sorry. Um, I just wasn't paying attention. I was talking on the phone. We won't even go there. Anyway, he's very gracious. He's like, I forgive you. I was like, I forgive you too for pulling me over. No, I'm joking. Um, very gracious. He was very great. The speed had just changed. The phone had just rang. I was hitting the button, even the hands-free button you have to hit. That's not really hands-free, is it? Right? If you have to push a button to, to accept the call so you can talk hands-free, that's not hands-free. We've messed it up somewhere. It should ring, and you should say, answer. And it should, like, do it automatically and be lovely. Didn't, didn't happen. When I say that you need to accept his forgiveness, this is what I need you to hear, okay? Uh, I, I believe guilt is from God. It leads us to repentance. But then after we confess our sins to God and we're forgiven and we continue to feel guilty, that's a different thing. That's called shame, and I think it's from Satan. And so, uh, so, so I, I, just, I, need you to, I want you to write this down. Um, just, I believe the Lord just laid this on my heart this week. Ready? Um, shame always leads to more of the same. I, I want to walk you through my belief and why I say that to you, that shame always leads to more of the same. Because our answer for our sin problem is not our answer. Like, that doesn't work. Your solutions to your sin problem, they're always going to fall short. The only answer to your sin problem is Jesus. That's it. He's the only one with the power to, to, to allow you to live rightly and holy because he's the only holy one. And so, so our answer is always Jesus, but here's the problem with shame. We feel so bad and guilty, and even though God says you are forgiven, we don't choose to live under our title, and so we don't act forgiven, so we don't go to Jesus. And when we live in shame and we don't go to Jesus, we are not allowing ourselves to go to the source of life, and therefore we continue to live in death. And so sin becomes a cycle in our lives because we are shamed to ashamed to go to God, who's our Father. And our Father is saying, come to me. And so just hear me, man, be forgiven. Let him forgive you. Accept it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to wake up every single day and every moment you fail. And when you actually say, God, I'm sorry, to get up and act like you're forgiven. Because you are forgiven. Okay? And here's the last one. If you've been those things, if you've accepted Christ's service in the darkest parts of your life, And if you've accepted his forgiveness, I think the only natural outflow is to do that kind of living with other people. It's to love them the same way, to serve them the same way. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I would say this to you in love. I think we're failing miserably at that. I don't think we lay down our lives for anybody. We don't lay down our lives for God. We don't lay down our lives for our family. We don't lay down our lives for a friend. We, we just like, we like our lives the way that they are. When's the last time you got uncomfortable to serve somebody else? 
So this week, here's my challenge to you. Find a way to serve somebody else in a manner that is uncomfortable to you naturally. Okay? It could be as easy as as baking cupcakes for a neighbor and taking them to somebody you don't know and to the pastor's house. I mean, whatever, whatever. I'm, I'm not looking singling out Elizabeth for any reason. I don't know what it is, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to do it. We've, we've, we've got to, I've, I've run a little long. We've, we've got to pray. I just, guys, I want to encourage you. It's, it's this big of a deal. And what Christ has done for us is huge. The implications are massive. They are massive. And if we'll live like it, they have the power.